Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's the blood? Can I tell you something that I learned about this weekend that I really dived into headfirst? Obviously. Okay. Well, they're called mug cakes. Do you know about mug cakes? Uh, oh, wait. Is it where you put a bunch of stuff, weird shit in a mug, microwave it, and then it becomes a cake? Yeah. Then yes, I know about mug cakes. <laughs> okay, great. So I kind of knew about them because uh. the Trader Joe's brownie mix that you can buy when you live in America and have access to Trader Joe's, mm-hmm. God's gift to the people. <laughs> Um, their brownie mix has a mug recipe on it so that you can make like the mug version and right. it's phenomenal. So I knew about that, but I'd never thought that about, I could make my own. Right. You didn't think that mug cakes could be like, I just never customizable. Yeah. I just never mm. occurred to me. And so I have this, I have a bunch of like weird cookbooks right now that are like gluten free, sugar free baking. Or the 50 shades of chicken. Yeah. And I also have 50 shades of chicken. Um, but so one of my weird baking cookbooks had a mug cake recipe that's like mostly almond flour and eggs, but I didn't have any almond flour cause it's expensive. Right. But we got some this weekend to make cauliflower pizza crust. Everything that I say sounds delicious. I know. <laughs> uh, and so I, I made the recipe and I've had like five now in the last You've 48 five hours. Five mug cakes? Yeah. You should just make a bigger cake. I know. I could, I guess. Well, I had one on Saturday and then I had two yesterday. And then I maybe... You really should just make one cake. Yeah. You would save a lot of time. Yeah. Well, and I got sick yesterday. Right. So you just had two mug cakes? Well, later, because I had white rice with butter, and then that was okay. <laughs> and then I had some popcorn with butter, and then that was okay. And then I had a mug cake. Ah, uh, the mug cake is what set you at the top. And then I had another mug cake. Uh. <laughs> this is after I was, wasn't feeling well anymore. Oh, okay. So, just, so you started feeling bad, and then you just went straight to the mug cakes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, because you can... The recipe calls for cinnamon and then it's like optional nuts or dried fruit mm. but i have baker's chocolate that's sugar-free so Ooh. i put baker's chocolate in a couple of them and it calls for honey but then i put agave in a couple times but i want to cut those down so right. this has gone real long yeah so. this is well this is gonna stay in though it's stories important we everyone, don't tell mug cakes yeah to be fair mug cakes is it's the fun word to say so tweet me your favorite mug cake base recipes that are both gluten and sugar-free yeah so basically don't tweet at brand <sighs> I hope that publishing company gets back to me that I tweeted about a typo in their children's book. <laughs> Your Look. life sounds like a fantasy that nobody lives. I know. This life can be yours. You <laughs> too can tweet at children's book publishers about continuity errors in their books. And not to mention the brilliance of mug kicks. <laughs> okay, well, they're pretty brilliant. So, anyway... Paul will cut all of that out. I really, he better not. Okay, well, we just have to keep talking about mug cakes. Yeah, we got to bring it back at least three times. Yeah. That's our goal, everyone, is pay attention. See if we can bring it back three times. If you want to know more about mug cakes, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Yes, for, because everyone loves mug cakes. Yeah, just leave your favorite mug cake recipe. On iTunes, great. Yeah, brilliant. It's the perfect plan. Yeah. So we're actually going to talk about something today. Right, yes. What are we going to talk about? Uh, I believe we're talking about trusting your audience. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really important step yeah 
we, we say this a lot. So uh, as, as you may have figured out, most of our shows are just based off us randomly thinking, coming up with something we say a ton of times and then explaining it on the podcast. Yeah, we say this all the time. Yeah. And in a previous episode, we also talked about the audience. And at right. that point, what did we say about them? Well, this is a part of the, yeah, this is a three-part series. Yeah. Uh, this is part two of the three-part series. Or part three of the three-part series, depending on when we decide to put it. At our discretion. Yeah, exactly. So it's one of the parts of a three-part series, all about your audience. That would be a great trilogy if you could read it in any order. That would be. Let's, let's pitch that. Let's, I'm going to tweet it to that publishing company. Brilliant. Um, so, uh, so, this, so the first one that we did uh, was, was all about uh, what you owe your audience. Right. Like your contract with the audience. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, which was, what was the actual, we had a phrase for it, which was not that. Mm. Protect your audience. Protect your audience. There we go. Uh, and then, so this one is, is trust your audience. And then the one you've already heard or will hear in the future will be fuck the audience. Yeah. So watch that space. Yeah. Um, but so this one, uh, so what do we mean by, what do we mean when we say trust the audience? Okay. So when we say trust the audience, what we mean is that we're in a room full of people and they've come out to this event and you know, you have this contract with them that you are hopefully honoring. And then beyond that, what can we expect when we put a story together that we will get from them and how can you plan out your story and edit your drafts and all of that good stuff? based on trusting that the audience will also be coming to the event with their whole selves. Well, and also just aren't dumb. Yeah. Like that's a big part of it. A big part of So the first, I'll, the first thing we say when, we, when most often we say trust your audience is don't over explain. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing we say is that, you know, the reason why we say trust your audience is like when you're writing a piece and you're like, I really want to make this, I really want to make this metaphor making really, really obvious. I want to drive it home. Yeah. And it's like the 14th time you try to drive it home, it, you, you should stop. Yeah. Uh, Cause at some point it gets annoying cause your audience figured it out the second time you try to drive it home and the next 12 times you've done it have become more and more annoying. Yeah. And it can be with stuff like that. And it can also be with feelings just right. straight up. So because you're there and you're speaking to them and you're describing something and you're taking them through an experience, you don't need to sum it up at the end with like, and then I felt this way, but now I feel this way. Like they know you can, yeah. you can trust that they were listening and that they felt what you were feeling because you were doing a great job the whole time. So just trust that they were listening. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't describe your feelings. Uh, like, yeah. or, like, like, describe your feelings in a, not a more direct way. Don't say, I feel sad. Uh, no. Explain how the saddest made you feel. Uh, it's like the classic, most, the most classic writing piece of writing advice, which is show, don't tell, uh, but sort of to a larger degree. Right. And it's like, where was it in your body? Because if they're there with you, they're going to feel it too, if mm-hmm. you describe it. And they've, they've been with you this whole time, so... Exactly. And part of it also is just like entrusting them to, you know, to give you the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. Um, in that, in that, you know, if you're, if you're telling a story and you're having a feeling, they're not there to cut you down. Right. You know, they're there, they're there to to feel it with you. Yeah. They're on your team. Totally. And this comes in a lot when you're telling a story that for whatever reason, like you're not necessarily proud of your behavior or it's not how you would behave today or you're embarrassed or da 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 da. There's mm-hmm. a million different ways that at our event we tell stories like that. Yeah. And you just need to trust that the audience is like on your team and they're rooting for you because they just want to hear it. Like they felt it too. They know. Yeah. They're also real people. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to take it on this on a different track, which might be cut entirely, but I'm going to take it on. You can, you, can, you can feel it if you like. Great. Uh, I got a really weird Facebook message over the weekend. Perfect. Uh, which was from a friend of mine who was talking about a story that I have still not told 
on uh, the stories I want to tell. Okay. Uh, and it's a story that I don't tell a lot often, so I, I don't tell really at all. And it's a story I've I, I've alluded to in conversation, but really I'd never get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and she thinks the story is fucking hilarious. Mm. Uh, so from her perspective, this is the funniest story in the world. Um, and I think she was reaching out to me in a way to sort of um, – because she wanted to tell this story at our event. So was, not exactly, but she was like, oh, I wish your story was more, your event was more comedy focused because I think from my perspective, the story was hilarious. Um, you should refer her to the episode where I just talk about how much I hate comedy for 45 minutes. Because that's a great episode. I'll, um, I don't know, I don't know. So I don't know. What's funny is she's never been to the event, so I have no idea how she understands what we do. Right. But moving on. Um, <laughs> Sorry, yes. Um, she wishes the event were more comedy focused. Well, but more specifically, this is from that point of like trusting your audience and stuff like that, is that uh, what's interesting about it is that she sees this story as really funny. I see the story still as quite shameful. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm. the reason I don't tell it is because I feel like I still haven't come to terms with the with the reality of the story to some extent. Like the embarrassment. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but also like it was just like yeah, like you know, and so it's not even embarrassing so much as it was shameful. Like I did something really really stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and for and I was really really drunk when I did it. But that doesn't 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 change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't you know, reflect how I feel about myself. Right. Um, and so this it's a weird it's a weird uh dichotomy and because like, like everyone and a part of it comes back to sort of what we're talking about in that if i was to tell that story i would have to have this massive amount of trust in the audience right that they would sort of understand that this is how i'm coming at it yeah like, i'm coming at it from a sense of like i felt i still feel really small when i think about it yeah uh, and and i'm coming at it from a very vulnerable position mm-hmm. um but to have that story be told by somebody else where it's just a joke Right. Or it's a punchline. Oh, yes. Um, or a different thing. It's such a different feeling. Yeah. And, and people try to do that all the time with stories where they're vulnerable is they want to just turn it into a punchline. And that's, you're absolutely right. It's like, no, I mean, especially for our event, like we really need you to do the work to uncover how you got there instead of writing it off as a joke. Because the things that we feel ashamed about it's easier to tell them as jokes for sure. Mm. But it does. It definitely shows that you're not trusting the people that you're sharing it with to be careful with your feelings and your vulnerability. And so yeah. you need to, yeah. You and need to trust that they'll respect you and you need to trust that they're smart enough that they'll get. Yeah, you have to, honestly, you have to trust that when you finish the story, they're not going to judge you. Yeah, because you're um, going to have to talk to them after. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and but they're and, not going to treat you any differently. And they won't. They right. won't. Exactly. You're, you're, you're getting up there and trusting the audience that, that, you know, that they will, that they will take the story as, as in, 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 you know, and feel it with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, this person is like, from their perspective, the story is just funny. It's, you know, it's a, it's idiot does something drunk. Um, but from my perspective, it's not that story at all. Right. Well, uh, and like that story, we already know. Exactly. We already know the story of idiot does something drunk. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's very a common well, story. Exactly. I don't really like it's a I, I was honestly when you know what I was actually doing there I was trying to figure out how to bring the word mug cup mug cake mm, back into it um, yeah but I was trying to you know which is I guess the example of not trusting the audience to actually accept my vulnerability and instead just defer to mug cakes yeah um yeah. I was really hoping I could have a mug cake metaphor there but I couldn't come up with one mm. well you've got to mix a lot of things together there we go and you need I mean this mug cake recipe calls for an egg and also baking soda so mm. it has two rising agents okay I think. I think that's what baking soda does. I have no idea. Okay, great. I'm not the person to ask. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm clearly not either, but soon I will be. Nice. Well, we should also talk about the story itself we're going to hear. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so we can talk about that. Actually, that's fair enough. So we're going to hear a story from Erin Kang that she told about when she was a kid, her experiences with her dad, let's say, 
um, and his experiences with addiction. That's the extent that I will spoil it for yeah, you. Yeah, that's his reasonable. Um, and so she's telling it from this kind of perspective of what that put on her as a child. And one of the one of the many ways that this comes in is I think that we expect from our audience that they're smart and that they'll get it and that they'll they'll um, not judge the storyteller and that they'll appreciate their vulnerability. But we also need to trust them that they will be. I don't know how else to phrase this, so you can help me come with, up with a better term, but like politically open-minded. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about things like some tough, tough topics that come up, which is like addiction, which is like mental health, which is like race, which is like identity, um, the things that we're asking people to share, or not asking people to share, the people that people, the things that people come in and share aren't necessarily ready for just like any audience in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Super Bowl happened recently. <laughs> it wouldn't be like, what if you told this story to the cross section of America that watches the Super Bowl? Yeah. Like some of the people are probably totally ready for a vulnerable story about growing up with addiction. And some of them probably haven't learned a lot about how addiction and mental health and all of these things intersect. We do say you need to trust the audience that like they're going to get it. Yeah. These are not the Super Bowl viewers. These are not the Super Bowl viewers. <laughs> They're not. No. Uh, well, I think also there's a there's a fascinating input of also being in the room. Yeah. Uh, in that, you know, the you, you, when you experience a a story being honestly told in a room, it would take a, a level of callousness many people have, mm-hmm. um, or if anyone has really, uh, to sort of react overtly negative to a, to to watching someone actually be true. Yeah. And honest with themselves. And I think that's really what it is. It's like, you know, it's the internet is a terrible, terrible place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that room is the most protective room you're going to you're gonna experience. Yeah. You just need to trust that they're not looking for. Well, it's OK. So another thing that I like to talk about is just comparing this, the experience of going to our event to watching reality television, hmm. where I think the reality television has become so popular because people are like isolated and want to be exposed to vulnerability. But I think that the way that. Uh, reality television is set up is that it's set up so that the audience is laughing at instead of feeling with laughing at instead of feeling with addiction and mental health and identity crises and all of this stuff and like you need to trust that people who are coming to be in this room with you are kind of the opposite of that. yeah and they are and and, and, and empathy works in that sort of way that mm-hmm. if you're right in front of them you know i've never seen i have not seen a negative uh reaction in that sort of way, we've had we've had a couple of things where it's more, but that's we've had a couple of weird experiences. But that wasn't so much. I don't know if I call it a failure of empathy, more as a complete blindness. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Some people are like in their own places. But. Yeah. While you enjoy your mug cake, yes. Please enjoy uh, Aaron Kang's excellent story. Please leave your favorite mug cake recipes in our iTunes reviews. obsessed with this series called The Babysitter's Club. Don't know if you know it. Uh, (laughs) Clearly there's some 90s kids in here. Um, So I'm pretty sure I read almost every book and I completely idolized the club's vice president. She was this half Japanese, half American girl named Claudia. So so when I was asked to babysit the neighbor's kids one evening and I successfully convinced my mom that 11 years old was old enough to do it, uh, I was just over the moon. 
Crunching my way through the snow-covered driveway to the neighbor's house, I looked at the, at the snow fort that we had built with the kids in the middle of the cul-de-sac. And I thought about how my dad had got this house, trying to convince my mom that moving would cleanse us of our problems somehow, um, just neatly excise his addiction from our family and unhurt all of the pain that he had caused us. And we did revel in a sense of temporary security that a mouse may enjoy in the presence of a snake who just ate. Uh, but a recent return to his days spent locked up in the bathroom has signified to all of us that the snake was just no longer idle. So I was really glad to get out of the house that evening. I think we all knew that this test run wouldn't work. Um, lately, all I could see when I looked at him was the void in his eyes when he looked at me and begged me to save him from tumbling back down his rabbit hole. Begged me to save him, pressing Ziploc bags of Snow White rocks into my hand and calling me his number one. When I got to the house, I paused at the doorbell shaking my head so I could dispel all the clouds of thought that had formed and so my neighbors couldn't see them. When I got inside and the parents left, it quickly became clear that babysitting was a little more mundane than Anna and Martin had led me to believe in her wonderful childhood series. So I just wandered around their house for two hours in silent marvel. I looked at the drawings that they had hung that their kids had made and peppered with colorful magnets on their steel fridge door, and I could only think about how the house I had was synthetic, contrived, a really low-budget memorial to the time before things got fucked. So all I could do was stand there and spread margarine onto slices of white bread and try to stay calm through my mom's phone calls that my dad was looking for me. When I stepped back into the cold to go home, dark had already stolen away the last breaths of light. I stood at the edge of our driveway, not able to go back in, just shivering in the cold, but I wasn't ready. I thought back to the first time my sister and I had come to this house before we had moved in. There was a thickness in the air that could only exist between a man and his two daughters after dragging them through hell and then promising them heaven multiple times. So we had done what we always did when we didn't know what else to do. We ate and watched a movie. That was the first time I ever saw The Matrix. I still feel a burning relief that Neo and Trinity appeared that night and let me live a reality that wasn't mine for 150 minutes. When Neo finds himself thrust into a new world, finds himself being told that everything he knew about his life was actually darkness, thinly veiled in illusion. I wondered if the, the small stones that kept my father captive could also be caught and defeated by the one. A rush of cold air brings me back to where I am, which is on my driveway, and I walk through the front door. I shrug off my jacket, but the cold is still clinging to my skin on my nervous sweat and it's just penetrating into my bones. 
Upstairs, I find my mom and sister shaken up and clearly anxious. Evidently, my dad's inherently aggressive personality had resurfaced, and I stiffened as I looked into my room. <sighs> my room, guys, I had just got it set up perfectly. My room that I had lived in just long enough for me to start feeling the sense of comfort a kid might need from their bedroom. My room, my refuge, had been desecrated. My stereo lay massacred in pieces. Every porcelain figurine I had lovingly placed throughout the room lay slain and scattered unceremoniously on the floor. I still heard the echoes of his shouting just linger in the air because I wasn't there to absorb them. I squeeze my eyes shut and for the hundredth time, I wish it doesn't have to be me to go down those stairs. When I open my eyes, I'm still me. So I go down to the basement where I know he'll be. I do my best not to look in the corner where there's a stairwell leading down to a second basement. I have never seen a house with two basements since then. It's the creepiest thing you can ever imagine. Like two basements, just terrifying. I knocked and he pushes the drawer just slightly ajar and he looks through to make sure it's me. And then he did something that he had never done before. Instead of slamming the door shut behind him and stumbling out, he invited me into his cave. So silently, I just succumbed to this tour of his underground world and took in the small squares of aluminum foil and lighters lined up neatly on the edge of the bathtub. He doesn't mention my room. I don't mention the wrinkled photograph I see of me and my sister propped up on the sink. He talks to me about how he hasn't given up, how he still needs my help, but all I can fixate on is how he still calls me number one. The one. Those words still rake through my body when I hear them. Obviously, I was the one. I was the one he leaned on, the one he could talk to, the one who had to go down to the basement, the one who held his stash for him so he couldn't smoke it. The one he could show all of his blackened pipes to. When I leave and I go back upstairs, I try to tell my mom and sister what happened. But all I can think about is which reality would be mine? Whether the pill that was born already stuck in my throat was red or blue. Whether I would keep living in a reality I knew was wrong and hurtful or whether I could face the darkness no matter how veiled by illusion. My mom ushered me and my sister out to the gray, freezing swaths of road that make up Niagara Falls. And not knowing what else to do, we went and sat in a Wendy's. And although back then my mouth could easily find the sounds to articulate aluminum foil and bathroom, I hadn't yet figured out how to articulate the sounds to say freedom and enough. You can find us online at thereapers.org because 
We're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This episode of the Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Mug Cakes. Mug Cakes. Because sometimes you want to get a cake on the go. (laughs) 